good to have Pastor Tiffany back from camp. And next week, you're going to hear a lot more of what God did in our camp uh, at uh, Chubb Lake. And she's going to be bringing the word. So we're excited to uh, hear what God has done. But I want to make a couple of announcements. Pardon me. <coughs> First of all, we introduced this last week. This is, um, uh, well, let's begin with this. How many have seen some painting happening outside? And uh, it's, it's going to be really nice when it is all done. We are doing a refresh on our exterior painting, and there'll be a couple of projects happening around here. But in, it, starting now, and as we go into the fall, we're going to be raising money for uh, a bigger project, which we don't really have budgeted for, so we need some help with this for those that feel so led. And that is fixing up our downstairs. We want to do some renovation in the kitchen and do some new flooring in the fellowship hall. So we're calling this our fellowship hall and kitchen remodel. And uh, what we're doing is just challenging you, if God puts it upon your heart, to give something a little extra over and above your normal tithe, your normal giving, uh, we know that God is going to provide. We want to be a good steward of this great facility. How many are thankful for this facility he's given us? Amen? What a blessing. And especially in today's day and age, and especially with the cost of real estate now, to try to buy a building like this, forget about it. I mean, you could do it, but plan to be in debt a long, long time. And we're so grateful that basically this facility is paid for. We want to maintain it. And it looks really nice upstairs in the main auditorium. This has already been renovated a few years ago, but we want to now fix up the downstairs. And so uh, as you give in your offerings, and of course you can give online, you can give and the debit machine in the back or drop in a check, but um, I would encourage you to pray about God, would you have me do something a little extra so that we can see this project move forward? And we don't have an exact timeline. Whenever God provides the money, then we'll move. But until then, we're just going to keep it uh, as an opportunity to do something. But the next thing I want to talk about is this. We have adopted a new mission statement as a church with our board, and we are excited about this. We'll put the slide up, and it is this. It is sharing life in Jesus Christ, and it comes from John 10.10. Why did Jesus come? Why are we all here? The very reason he gives in this verse is that I have come so that they would have life and life more abundantly, or life to the full. If you're happy that he gave life, say amen. And so this is what it's all about. Too many people today, they don't really experience life to the full. They don't know Christ. They don't know what he can do for them and through them, how he wants to use them and bless them. And, you know, we're, we're here to serve. We're here to minister. But it's also that we can enjoy the life that Jesus intended for us. And so my very first message actually had to deal with this life, but, but uh, I want you to know that as a board, we had several different options we were looking at. We want to do something uh, new for this new season as we move forward into now. Who are we as a church? We've talked about this. We prayed about this. And we all together landed on this mission statement that it should be sharing life in Jesus Christ. And here's the acronym or the acrostic. L stands for love, love God, and love people in word and deed. How many believe that's the great commandment that he gave? Love God and love your neighbor. Then I stands for invite. We want to invite others to know Christ through witness and outreach. This is our personal witness daily. Wherever we go, we want to be sharing Jesus and modeling our faith. And then we'll do outreaches as a church, special events, of course, that we do collectively. So it's both an individual and a collective endeavor 
to invite others to know Christ. That's the great commission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel, make disciples. And then fellowship together as a caring community. How many like fellowship? Amen? And I mean, this is what the world is looking for. True love and action, caring for one another, looking after each other, having fun together. And so fellowship as a caring community, and then finally empower people through prayer, praise, and discipleship. When we pray together, when we praise together through our times of worship, and when we grow in the word discipleship, we want to empower you to live the life that God has called you to live. So uh, if you like this new mission statement, say amen. 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 That's a good endorsement, and we're glad to hear that, and we're excited about it. So you'll see this now on, you know, different things as we release information on our website. Um, If we have printouts, if we have things that we produce through the office, you'll see this mission statement, and everything we do is here to fulfill this. We want to share the life of Jesus Christ. We want to share his life wherever we go, when we come together, and as we go out of these doors as a church, we are his hands and his feet and his voice. So we're excited about that. Well, today we are continuing our series on power to change, and we're in Acts 16. We were in the first portion of this last week as we talked about Paul and Silas and Timothy and their encounter with Lydia, but now we're in the second half of this chapter, and uh, I've got a fair amount of scripture to read so it's on a few slides you can turn if you will to Acts 16 but we'll go through it fairly quickly there's some great meat in here that we want to enjoy so here we go now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling now let's just say this that only the Lord knows the future so by fortune telling basically It was a con, but this woman, this girl, was being subjected to uh, being used by her master. She was possessed. She had an evil spirit in her, and they were using her to do this quote-unquote fortune-telling, and they're profiting, making money from her. The girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. Now, that might have been okay for a time or two. It was a true statement. But she was being uh, intentionally distracting and disturbing. It said, it went on for many days. Imagine somebody, I'm trying to speak to you, and Jeff stands up and says, Pastor Scott, speak in the word. Well, thank you, Jeff, that's great. But then he says again, Pastor Scott, speak in the word. And then as the hour goes on, we're all getting extremely annoyed that he hasn't stopped saying it. This is the kind of distraction that was happening, right? Once or twice, good. Beyond that, not so good. And it said, it went on for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out of her that very hour. But when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates or the leaders and said, these men being Jews exceedingly trouble our city. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. So they were stripped and beaten with rods. How many know that's what you call being persecuted for your faith? Right? An angry mob. Nobody wants to be in the middle of an angry mob when you're the target, and they were the target that day. So they were beaten severely. And uh, then it goes on to say, when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, 
commanding the jailer to keep them securely. So having received such a charge, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. So it wasn't like the open area. They were down in the dungeon. These were not the nice facilities that we have today in North America. Our prisons, nobody wants to go to prison. It's not a fun place. But at least they make them humane, and there's washroom facilities, and they have areas where they can go to the library, they can go to the gym, they have certain activities that are coordinated and scheduled. This was a Roman prison. We're talking cement blocks, wet, dark dungeon, and they are locked in the stocks. So that is extremely uncomfortable, very painful after a while. But this is what happened, verse 25. But at midnight... Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. I wonder how many of us would respond in that way. After being beaten, after being imprisoned, thrown into jail, would we be happy or would we be complaining? Makes you wonder. They were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. Notice that. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called out with a loud voice saying, Do no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. He had just witnessed a mighty earthquake and people's shackles being cut off. And he said this, uh, What must I do to be saved? So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. Lord, we pray now for the next few moments. Help us to have an open heart, God, a teachable spirit a listening ear, and Lord, help us not only to be hearers of the word, but to be doers of your word, that we would put these principles into practice and strive to do what Paul and Silas did in their time of trial, that we would rejoice, that we would turn it around and use it as an opportunity to praise you and witness to others. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. So this is a pretty powerful story, very familiar story. Right? Paul and Silas in prison. Maybe if you grew up in Sunday school, you had the little flannel graph, and it showed Paul and Silas in the stocks, and then, boom, the earthquake comes, and they were freed. Something that's pretty familiar, yet we tend to forget some of the powerful principles that are involved in this story. And first of all, number one is this. There is authority in the name of Jesus. If you believe that, say amen. We have authority in his name. What are you talking about, Pastor Scott? Well, this is what the Lord told the disciples in Matthew 16, 19. He said, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, in Jesus' name, Paul cast out a demon of a tormented slave girl who had been exploited for profit. And we don't talk a lot about this in the North American church but as Christians, and especially as Pentecostals, we know that there is spiritual warfare going on. Isn't that what Ephesians 6 says? You don't wrestle against flesh and blood, powers and principalities. And the good thing is we have nothing to be afraid of because 1 John 4, 4 says, Greater is he, that's the Lord who is in you, than he that is in the world. Amen? So you don't have to be afraid at all, but you do need to be aware. 
I became aware of this as a young pastor. I was around 25 years of age. First church we were pastoring at was in central Washington. And uh, my boss, the lead pastor, he was the presbyter. And so that means like sectional pastor and POC terms. So he would be gone a lot and be visiting churches in the area, and I'd be left to hold the fort. I was a young guy. I was the associate pastor, the only full-time associate. Our church had maybe, you know, 170 people, something like that. And so it seemed like all the crazy stuff would happen when Pastor Dave was gone. Office gets flooded, Dave's gone, I'm here. Things happen, Dave's gone, I'm here. And so it was really a trial by fire and you know, school of hard knocks. You'd learn on the job. And sure enough, um, one day I get this call and uh, Dave was away and our children's pastor was there. He was a volunteer. The neat thing about our children's pastor, he was a former Vietnam vet, a big guy, husky. And he had been a brawler and a drinker and just a bad guy that got beautifully saved, transformed and became this cream puff, basically big on the outside, but tender on the inside, just loved Jesus and loved kids. In fact, they were foster parents. They had all kinds of kids in their home. And uh, these guys were awesome. And so Chuck became our children's pastor. But he was the volunteer. I was the paid staff. So I'm supposed to be in charge. And I get a call from an individual. And this person was obviously inebriated, had been drinking and said, I want you to come and pray for me. And I said, well, you know, I'm kind of man in the office right now. Can I pray for you over the phone? No, I want you to come and pray for me right now. He's very emphatic. And so Chuck and I loaded up in the church van, and we drove down to South Wenatchee. And that's the bad part of town. And, uh, you know, we got more of the pubs. They haven't renovated the town yet. There's been no revitalization. You know, it's the old part of town that kind of gets overlooked. And sure enough, this fellow was here, and I'm going to call him Waylon to protect his name. He was a big fella. Uh, he was a Native American, and he was outside a, a pub with a, a gal and a few other people, and they had been drinking, and uh, he was just totally out of his mind, just was not in his right mind. And we went and ministered to him that day and tried to pray and, and just give him some love, and we had a circle of prayer right there on the street, right on the, uh, you know, outside the pub there, let's have a circle of prayer. And we did. And we prayed for Waylon. Well, we went back to the church that day, but shortly after, he wound up going to the halfway house that he was living in, and he started to just go berserk. He was basically, unbeknownst to the team there, demon-possessed. And he started to throw furniture and just like toss stuff around. And the, the other inmates, the other street folks who were living in the halfway house, they were scared. And they were frightened of Waylon. And, and the house director, an old man named Hutch, and he was probably, uh, you know, maybe in his 70s, great guy, loved the Lord, but he was kind of a small build, and this was a big guy, and he started just to go berserk, and they didn't know what to do. So what did they do? They loaded him up and brought him over to the Pity Council Church where I was at, and Dave was gone, good old Eastmont Assembly of God. And so here he is, and they brought in Waylon. And uh, if you've never seen spiritual warfare up front, this was my first time seeing it face to face. It's a real deal. Um, he was crawling on all fours and howling like a wolf and uh, just really not himself. I mean, it was the real thing. And, um, and so it was me and at this point, uh, our resident missionary who was home on furlough for a year, thank God he was there 
because he had seen things like this in Thailand. His name was Keith Kidwell. Maybe some of you have, have uh, gotten to know him a bit. But he was there, and I was there, and we started to pray and just pray for the Lord to deliver this man. And he would crawl, and he was a big guy. Now, at that point, believe it or not, I was a slim, 25-year-old associate pastor doing youth ministry. I was skinny, and this guy outweighed me by probably 50 pounds. In the natural, he could have taken me. But what I learned is that greater is he that is in you. Because he would start to come up and be threatening, and I would just start to pray and pray in Jesus' name, and he would shy away. He would cringe away because the demon inside of him was subject to the Lord. Isn't that awesome? And so we were praying, and pretty soon we brought our worship pastor over. She started to sing, and we, a few more people started to join us. It didn't happen that second. It took a few hours. But as we continued to pray and just worship the Lord and pray over Wayland, you know what? Ultimately, this guy was totally uh, delivered of demonic possession, slain in the Spirit, and he asked Jesus into his heart to be his Lord and Savior. Amen? You say, praise the Lord. It was awesome. It was awesome. But, you know, it took several hours of praying through. But finally, he was delivered, he was slain, and he was just totally a cream puff, and he asked Jesus to be his Lord. And he began his spiritual journey that night. Now, sometimes it would be two steps forward, one step back, because he had a real problem with substance abuse. He had a real problem with alcohol. So when he was sober, he'd be coming to church doing good, but every once in a while he'd fall off the wagon, and, you know, he'd have to kind of regroup and get back on track but God's grace is sufficient. But I learned something that the enemy is subject to the name of Jesus. Now, there's a caveat in that, though. You don't want to be like the seven sons of Sceva in Acts 19 who figured, as long as I use this name, then, yeah, we can have authority over the enemy. No, you have to be a, a, a Christian who is following Jesus that has God in your life. And then you can use the name of Jesus. Like, like the demon told the sons of Sceva, Paul we know and Jesus we know, but who are you? And they wound up, you know, overcoming him. But when you are a Christian who has Jesus in your life, God is greater. You have nothing to worry, nothing to fear. You can say, in the name of Jesus, get lost. Get out of here. And the enemy is subject to you. Praise the Lord. We need to be aware that there is a spiritual battle going on behind the scenes. Ephesians 6 tells us this. And he gives us the full armor of God so we're prepared to stand and fight. But we never need to fear the enemy. The Spirit of God lives within us and he is greater. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Don't you know you're a temple of the Holy Spirit and he dwells in you? I'm so glad that I have nothing to worry and nothing to fear. You know, in North America, we don't see a lot of this. But you go over to places like India and Africa, and uh, over to Asia, where there's a lot of mysticism, where there's, you know, different kinds of cultures. Hey, I've been to Haiti. You're talking about voodooism. That's the place, right? It's real, but praise the Lord, God is greater, and we're on the winning side. Amen? We're on the winning side. I go to sleep at night with my head on the pillow, and I sleep a sleep that is sweet and wonderful because God has his hand upon me. And I am, I am protected. I am in the palm of his hand. He is our mighty fortress. He is our strong tower. And nothing can get through to you unless he allows you to be tempted or allows you to go through something. And if he does, it's for a good reason because he wants you to grow in your faith and he works it all for good and he supplies every need. Praise the Lord. So we don't have to worry about the enemy. He's already defeated foe. God is the one who rules and reigns on high. There is authority in his name. 
Now, number two is this. There is opportunity to witness during trials. Paul and Silas have been falsely accused. Did you realize that? Because Roman rule allowed for all kinds of religions during that time. I mean, this was Rome, right? The Greeks and the Romans, they were polytheistic. They believe in different gods. They believe in different deities. There was no one universal religion, but they said, oh, it's unlawful for these Jews to be sharing these things that are causing. That was not even true. That was a lie. They were just upset because their, uh, you know, their money ticket basically had been taken away, right? This girl had been freed, and so she was freed of this demonic possession. I'm sure she was totally happy about that, but that was their gravy train. And so they were falsely accused. Paul and Silas were punished without due process, but rather than getting bitter, they chose to worship and pray. And when they did, they were overheard by others. You know, it's not so much at the end of the trial when we finally get the victory that that's the only testimony. That's part of the testimony. But it's how we respond and act during the trial. Amen? It's how we respond to others and how we keep our faith in God during the trial that really can be just as powerful, if not more so. A victorious testimony after going through it is one witness, but our response to the trial can be even more powerful. Are we trusting in God? Are we standing firm in the faith? Are we maintaining good character? Remember years ago when we were pastoring in Linden as associate pastors there at a big church, I think it finally hit about 500, and, and we had just a great time there. And uh, our young adult group was crossing uh, over into Langley because one of our gals was attending Trinity Western University, and that's the place where my wife still works online. She's still working for their office there. And, um, and so we went and took a little field trip with our young adults. Had about maybe 10 or 12 young adults or so, college or career age, and we loaded up in different cars, and Linden is just, you know, just south of the border, real close. Uh, it's just near Bellingham there in Washington. And so we came across the border, and we went and saw her game because she was on the volleyball team. So we thought this would be fun to support her and watch a good game, which we did. Afterwards, it was late, it was dark, and it was raining, and we all piled back into our cars, and we, and we started ahead, and we were going to go to a local restaurant. And we were driving in tandem about three or four cars in a row, and if you know anything about lower mainland traffic, it gets pretty fast, pretty crazy. Not the best drivers, to be perfectly honest with you. But we were driving, and there was a red light, so we came to a stop, and the car in front of us stopped. And Coulter was just a little toddler at that time. I don't think Spencer was even born yet. So we had our son in the back, and we were about car two or three. And they stopped, and we stopped, but there was a truck that was going too fast behind the last car in our line of vehicles, and he didn't allow enough time to stop, and he didn't account for the slick roads, and he slammed into that car, which hit our car, and I can't remember if we bumped the car in front of us. I think we did. It was like a multiple car pileup. And uh, the worst damage, of course, was the first vehicle. They got hit hard, and they launched into us, and bam, into us, and we hit the nut in front of us. Well, you get out of that, and of course, everybody's shooken up, and there's damage to the vehicles, and you're wondering, is everybody okay? We were concerned about our, our son, who was just a little guy, maybe two years old in the back seat. Is he okay? And you're kind of upset that this happened. But we get out, and the person that was in the truck, he was a young man, 
and we got to the side of the road, and the police showed up, and so we started to fill out the report, and you could tell he was honestly sad and regretted what he did. He said, is everybody okay? I feel so bad, I just, I, I couldn't stop. My car was sliding. Well, he shouldn't have been going so fast, and he shouldn't have been driving so close. We know that. But he, he had contrition in his heart, and he said, is everybody okay? And for whatever reason, God spoke to me in that moment, because I was not real happy that this happened, now we have to stop. Somebody had to go to the hospital. We had to, you know, fill out a police report. There goes the rest of our evening, this great fun event I had planned for a young adult group. But God spoke to me, and I told this young man, I said, you know what? We're from church. We believe in God, and we believe in grace and forgiveness. I remember just telling him that. And, you know, our response in the moment of crisis is a testimony, isn't it? Now, after we're all done... Nobody was killed. You know, we could have stood up in church a week or two later. Praise the Lord. He protected us, and nobody was seriously hurt. But it was our testimony in the middle of the trial that was just as important. And so we have to remember that. Now, do we always get it right? Certainly not. I know I've missed opportunities to be a better witness than I should have been. But when we say, yes, God, and we listen to his voice, and we allow him to flow through us as his hands and his feet and his voice, God will bless you and use you. And so the, the fellow prisoners, the other inmates, were listening to Paul and Silas. And these guys had been beaten. They weren't in the general population area. They were down in the lower area with their feet in stocks. And they were, had been beaten. I'm sure they had open wounds and sores and bruises and who knows, maybe broken bones. But they're singing, they're praying, they're worshiping. And that was a testimony to the other inmates. They heard them. They heard them. And so then through the power of praise, something dramatic happened. And that's number three. There is power through praise. If you believe that, say amen. There's power through praise. Psalm 22, verse 3 says, But thou, O God, art holy, and you inhabit the praises of your people. When we worship and praise, God manifests or moves by his power. Did you know that? There's power through praise. You start having a bad day, start singing a worship song. Well, that doesn't make sense. First, I want to complain for 20 minutes. Well, you can do that if you want. You can complain, but that's not going to help you, and it's not going to help the situation. But if we pray, say, Lord, I need help. And you can be honest with God. Lord, I don't understand why this is happening. God, I, I, I'm frustrated. This is tough. But thank you that you are in control. Thank you that your word declares you will supply all of my needs. Thank you that Romans 8, 28 says you're going to work it all for good. You start praising him for who he is and what he's done and what he promises to do. Amen? Stand firm in faith on the promises of God. You start worshiping and start singing a song. All of a sudden you start feeling that peace and that rest in your heart. In fact, his power is manifest. And when we worship together, Boy, there's, there's power to praise. You know, it really doesn't matter if, if you know the songs well or if you don't know them so well. If they're old, if they're new, if they're fast, if they're slow, worship is not even about us. It's all about Him. I encourage you to enter in and really worship Him and thank Him for who He is and for what He's done. And His power is moving in those times. Amen? There's power through praise. He moves by His Holy Spirit in the midst of prayer and praise. So as Paul and Silas lifted their hearts to God, he manifested his power and caused an earthquake to shake that jail and set the prisoners free. In fact, when you look at the text, this is what it says. 
It says, as they sang and the prisoners were listening to them, suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundation of the prison was shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were loosed. Not just Paul and Silas. They were all set free because God used them to minister to others in that place. Amen? God wants to use you to minister to somebody else so that they can be freed. The slave girl was free from this controlling demon and God cast it out quickly. The prisoners were freed, even though they might have been there for crimes that they did commit. More than likely, yes. But Paul and Silas, they had pure hearts. In fact, they got, uh, afterwards, when they were freed, Paul, he started to raise a little bit of a stink. He said, wait a minute, we were convicted and beaten without due process. Did you know I'm a Roman citizen? And Roman citizens had rights. You know, it'd be like if you were locked up without due process, you would have a nice little lawsuit waiting for you afterwards, at least in the States this way. A little less litigious here in Canada. But in the States, they will sue you for looking backward at the wrong way, you know. Any drop of a hat. But basically, they were convicted wrongfully, falsely accused, wrongfully convicted, thrown into jail, already beaten without due process. And so Paul said, hey, they want us to go quietly? I'm not willing to do that. But they begged them, please go quietly. And Paul being gracious, they did. But instead of complaining, instead of getting bitter, they worshiped the Lord, they praised the Lord, and God blessed and used them in a powerful way, and all other chains were broken free. In the Old Testament, did you know this? The worshipers would lead the army of Israel in a battle. That shows that there's power through praise. You look at 2 Chronicles chapter 20 as one example. He said, put the worshipers out front. Put the worshipers out front. One time, I had a guy in my church, and a church we pastored in Mission, and uh, I went out, and we went out for coffee or breakfast one day, and he said, hey, you know, yeah, I like coming to church and stuff, but I don't know why we do the whole praise thing. I, I could take it or leave it. <laughs> it's the first time I ever heard that somebody got, you know, really didn't really care if there was singing or not. I said, well, we do it because God tells us to do it, and because we want to give him praise and adoration, but you know, we worship him because he calls us to worship him. And when we do, he moves in those times of prayer and praise. So just like in the Old Testament, leads the army, I encourage you, praise the Lord every day. Amen? Prayer, praise, and the word. Prayer, praise, and the word. When you get alone with God in your devotional time, make sure you thank him, praise him. It can be through song or it can just be through your words but thank you lord for your goodness your faithfulness and your blessings and then you pray take all your needs to him he cares and he promises to supply every need and they get into his word and put it into practice in your life it'll transform you and god will use you in powerful ways can we all stand this morning and chad if you could join us with the worship team just before we do that final song maybe you could do that fourth song that we sang just a few times. So let's bow our heads and close our eyes just as it begins to play quietly. Lord, we come to you right now. We're so grateful, oh God, that you are with us, Lord. You are living within us by your Holy Spirit. Your word declares that in 1 Corinthians, Lord, chapter 3, said we are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Lord, you tell us that in 1 John 4 as well. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Lord, you are with us. We carry you with us wherever we go. And so, Lord, we have nothing to fear because you've already conquered the enemy. He's a defeated foe. In the name of Jesus, demons flee. 
Lord, you've given us power and authority. Lord, when we pray and talk to you, you hear, you listen, and you respond. James tells us the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much. Much comes from those prayers because you are hearing. You are listening, O oh God, and you answer those prayers. Lord, I pray right now for those that are in this place that have needs. I pray that you would begin to move in our life. And just as Chad begins to play this, if you have a need this morning, I encourage you just to slip up quickly as we sing. We have some prayer workers here, and we're ready to pray for you. And we want to believe that the Lord is going to meet those needs. So as they lead us, you come. And I'm going to ask our workers to come help us this morning. Amen.